It is a great day as we begin a week to celebrate what the Lord did for us. And uh, we just had the opportunity to celebrate that in communion. So thank you for sharing with us. Uh, I got a, a text early this morning from my nephew, Mason. And actually, he sent it out to the whole family. There's a little family text where every once in a while, you know, you can drop stuff out so everybody sees it. About 7.30 this morning, he sent out a text. And the text was a little, uh, I don't know, what do you call those? A meme. All right. There's a meme. And on the meme, it said, I just sent my pastor a get better soon card. He's not sick. I just hope he gets better. <laughs> So, we're going to try to get better for Mason, all right? And you will all be the beneficiary of that this morning um, as we uh, share with you a continuation of our series, Awaken. Awa yeah, I'll tell you something else that's kind of funny. Uh, uh, just a couple minutes later, my brother sent me the same text and said, Mason just sent this to me. I thought it was funny. <laughs> I wrote back to him and said, Yes, and you're getting old because he sent it to the whole family and you didn't even notice. Um, <clears throat> but uh, anyways, uh, we are in a series called Awaken, and there is a verse in Ephesians where Paul said to the church of Ephesus, wake up, you who are sleeping, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. It's interesting that he used the term wake up as if one is sleeping, but he also used the term death. Why? Is the only one who has the power to wake those who are dead. And he proved it both physically and spiritually was Jesus. And in fact, he had done that himself. So he encourages us to wake up to the fact that we need Christ. To wake up to the fact that we need his salvation. And when we do that, then he says, see that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. We are supposed to walk, and there is a difference between waking up and getting up. In this series, as we look at the life of Jesus, we are seeing that he has encouraged us to wake up to what we need in him, but also to get up and begin doing what he's asked us to do, to begin doing what he has empowered us to do. And that's what this series is all about. We have looked at Jesus, and we've looked at his, his miracles. We've looked at, at uh, his, his followers. We, we have looked last week at his principles. Today, we look a bit at his passion. We look a bit more at what he invites us to. And while there are so many things that he invites us to, I just want to give you a couple this morning as we begin this celebratory week. And then I want to... I want to share with you something that he kind of encourages us to invite others to. The first one is found in the book of Mark. And, and when you get there, you're going to say, oh, I think we've been there, and we have. We actually opened this series talking about this. But Mark gives to us the quick version, all right? Mark gives to us the, Mark gives to us the, the real condensed version of this story. And he says in Mark chapter 1, verse 16... One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, Peter, and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Okay, he's, he's letting you know they weren't just out for the afternoon. Okay, they hadn't taken the day off and went fishing. This is how they made their livelihood. Jesus called out to them, 
Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. The first thing that Jesus invites us to, and we went in depth in this story a few weeks ago, but he says, come, follow me. Come, follow me. You want to know what following does? Following takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Even in this day of GPS, do you ever once in a while find yourself following the GPS and yet you still make the wrong turn? Bear right, bear right, bear right, bear right, bear right. It's like it, you wish it would yell, right? Like your wife does every once in a while. Bear right. <clears throat> Every once in a while, we still make the wrong turns. But if you're following someone who's been there before, if you're following someone who knows exactly how to get where you need to get to, it makes it that much easier. You don't have to listen. You just have to follow. And the first instruction of Jesus to those who would become his closest disciples was, follow me. Follow me. In essence, he was saying, stay with me. I uh, had to go to my parents' house the other day, mom's house. Lori had been over there and she said, there's a couple things that we need to do. Okay, fine. And I made my way over there. And one of the things that I noticed is when I went in the backyard, they have a shed about 700 yards in the back. It's a really long ways. It's not 700 yards, but anyways, it's way back there. And uh, the shed, both shed doors were open, and I thought, I need to go close those doors. And so I walked the length of the backyard, and I realized as I was walking, I haven't walked around in this backyard for a long time. And it took me back to the days when we first moved there. We moved there when I was 15 years old, and my brother was nine, Okay. This is putting to rest some of you, I know, have always felt like he's older. No, I am the oldest, uh, so I want to make sure you understand that. Uh, I'm older by six years, so he was nine, I was 15, all right? And he can tell you and, in fact, speak sometimes at camp and give illustration of and share with you at family gatherings that when it came time for yard work, he did all the yard work, and I drove around and got gas in the car and got the car washed and picked up dad's mail and did all the things that you had to do running around on a Saturday. And that is partly true, but not when I was 15, because I didn't have a license and he was nine. You know how you measure snow in inches? In our backyard, you could measure leaves in inches, okay? There were like 100 trees, and there were just leaves all over. And I remember the first year raking those leaves and thinking, you're never going to get done. And we'd take them all the way back to where this shed was, and we'd dump them back there. And there were Saturdays when Craig and I would work with Dad together. And I cannot tell you how many times at home or up north at the camp, we would be working with him, and he would say, stick with me, boys, stick with me, come on, stick with me, because we had gotten distracted 
or maybe we're not working as quickly as he thought we should, stick with me, stick with me. Can I tell you something? If you are a follower of Jesus, every once in a while, he's gonna whisper in your heart, come on, stick with me, stick with me. Why? Because we can get distracted, right? In fact, let's be honest, we can sometimes make the wrong turn. We could sometimes get off base, and he comes to whisper in our hearts, stick with me. Come on, stick with me. Because the closer we are to him, the easier it is to follow. And he knew, in fact, the easier it would be to get through life when we were following him. Come, follow me. And this is what he does. He invites us to an adventure. He invites us to, what did he say to those disciples? And every gospel that puts that story in, they make sure that they cover that part. That when Jesus got to the end of the discussion with these guys who'd been out fishing, he said, I'll tell you what, guys, leave the nets. Come follow me, and we will fish for people. They had no idea what he was even asking. All they knew was, this sounds better than what I've been doing. This sounds like an adventure, and he invites us on that same adventure, and he invites us on a journey. No matter what season of life you find yourself in, Jesus wants you to be part. And let me tell you something, you never, catch this now, you never get to the age where you stop hearing the Spirit of God say, stick with me, stick with me. Because every season of life, there is a new essence of Jesus to find and fall in love with and get closer to. And he invites us to be on mission with him. Why? Don't you think there was a better way for God to get his message across than with the disciples? I mean, how many times did he have to keep reiterating the same message? About as many times as he has to keep saying it to us. but he invites us to be part of his mission. And he says, come follow me. Do you remember Psalm 23? For some of you, if you have a favorite passage of scripture, that might be it. And I'm sure that you have heard the shepherd's psalm. Psalm 23, David put the words together and he says right at the beginning, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. And then what's the next word? He leads me beside still waters. And I just wonder if every once in a while, Jesus isn't trying to lead us into the greener pasture. He's not. He's trying to lead us to the still waters, to the peaceful side of life, and it's in essence that his followers sometimes go kicking and screaming. <laughs> he leads me. And if we follow him close enough, he will lead us to that place. But you've got to be following. And it's when we decide to take our own shortcut. It's when we decide to go our own path it's when we decide to follow this person, that person, this idea, that idea, rather than following Christ. And we wonder why it hasn't led us to where we thought we were going to get to. Because Jesus said, you gotta follow me. Come follow me.
There's another portion of Scripture where Jesus, as he is talking, he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Is there any chance that's you today? Come to me, all of you who are weary, who are worn out, who are tired, who are carrying a pretty heavy load. Jesus says, come to me. First he says, come follow me. Then he says, come you who are weary. Come you who are weary. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure for a lot of people, this has been a year where much of the busyness of life, at least for part of the year, that was set aside. You didn't have a schedule. Your schedule was get out of bed, go downstairs, do something in your house, eat. And when you were done eating, you looked at your watch and were wondering, when's the next time I can eat? Watch some TV, binge on Netflix, do a little more in the house, eat again. All of the busyness, all of the schedules, they were done away with, weren't they? Yet, is it not true? And, and probably this is the way some of you feel. At the end of a year where the busyness of life was not nearly as hectic as it has been, where our schedules were basically blank slates, where there has been so much cutback, where many of you still today find yourselves working maybe from home, your office is 20 feet away from where you slept. Yet at the end of it, you're more worn out than you've ever been. <laughs> you are more tired. <clears throat> you ever get home from a vacation and you're like, mm, I need a vacation from the vacation. But you are more weary. Why? Because weariness isn't something that you can necessarily define. You can't pinpoint it. There's this book called Desiring God. It was written a number of years ago, but it still finds itself near the top of many of the bestsellers as far as Christian material is concerned. This is what it says. I just want to read it to you as it relates to our being tired. It says sometimes we can point to a significant factor, but often we can't. So, there are times when you could say, this is why. This is why I feel like this. This is why I'm weary. This is why I'm tired. And you could point to it. But oftentimes, we look around and we're like, why do I feel this way? It says, our weariness results from the cumulative, multi-layered intersections of life's complexities. Bodily frailties emotional heartbreaks, and the consequences of sin. It surpasses understanding. Aren't there times when you just feel kind of, uh, and you don't get it? You don't know why. You don't understand it. That's why it is so cool that Jesus says, my peace I will give to you. A peace that passes understanding. And when there is a weariness 
that hits us, when there is a burden that is a part of our lives that we don't quite understand, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. All who are weary, all who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. What is that yoke? The yoke was the harness that they would put on oxen, usually a pair. You can imagine how heavy that was because the oxen were, well, pretty heavy themselves. So they had to have a pretty heavy harness in order to guide them, in order to lead them where they were supposed to go. Jesus says, look, there are going to be burdens in life, but if you'll come to me, my burden is light. It's easy. You can handle it, and then I'm able to give you guidance through the complexities, through the weariness, through the burdens. He didn't say, come to me, I take them all away. You never have another problem. Nope. He said, there's still going to be burdens, but I help you through them. The book goes on to say this, there's nothing simple about our weariness. Cheer up, things are bound to turn around. Doesn't quite undo the layers that we have allowed to accumulate. However, a simple promise, if we believe that there is power behind it, is strong enough, patient enough to remove the layers and unload the burdens unique to any relationship, unique to any religion, it's offered in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus simply offers himself as a universal solution to everything that weighs us down. John describes him as the eternal word made flesh. His simple promise, I will give you rest, implies a power in the person of Jesus that is more than sufficient to lift anything that adds to our burden. We're not relying on practical application. I like that. You know that. It's even how I preach, right? Three points and a cloud of dust. It's not three points. It's not five steps. It's not four reasons. It's not seven effective disciplines. It's the person of Jesus. And he invites you into relationship with him. And those who have already trusted him as Lord and Savior, what does he say? Come on. Come to me. Lay on me all that's going on. He already knows it, right? Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened. There are times I've told you that I am not, by any stretch of the imagination, a professional counselor, okay? But I have done counseling, and I share in counsel sometimes. People want to talk, and you want to know one of the things that I've found out and I'm sure that people that do this far more than I do, Pastor Dan and others, professional counselors, would, would say that this is part of the remedy. 
Sometimes people feel better after they've just come and talked it out. I, I barely said anything, and they're like, man, you've been such a help. <laughs> I didn't do anything. I just gave you, I gave you an opportunity to kind of air it out. Listen, that's what Jesus invites us to do. Talk to me. Well, he already knows. He does. But there is something about you just laying it out in front of him and for him. Let him know. You know, do you remember, um, and, and forgive me if some of, you, some of you would be like, this is very sacrilegious. So I'm trying not to be, but there's a, a film called Bruce Almighty, okay? Most of you have probably seen it. Uh, it's got Jim Carrey uh, playing this guy named Bruce, and Morgan Freeman plays God, and Morgan Freeman gives Bruce the chance to be God, at which point Bruce figures out being God is not quite that easy. And one of the areas that he has to deal with is prayer. And so Morgan Freeman says, have you prayed? And Bruce is like, well, yeah. He says, well, go ahead and pray. He says, okay, uh, dear uh, you, <laughs> uh, I come to you, oh, mighty one, and he's trying to quote, and finally Morgan Freeman is like, what? Is that your prayer? Try it again. Except tell me how you really feel. At which point he begins to lay out his feelings. And of course he's in love with Jennifer Aniston in the movie. And, and at the same time they're having problems because of his so-called power. And so he finally says, you know what, I want her to be happy I want her to find love. And he begins to pray from his heart. And Morgan Freeman says, now that's a prayer I can answer. And listen, I know it's not scripture or anything like that, but can I tell you something? It's an illustration of what God, he's not looking for the these and the thous. And whether you know that it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when you kick off your prayer, he's looking for what's going on in your life. Tell me about it. Talk to me. Because then God through his spirit can respond to you. Come to me all you who are weary. And it's interesting, isn't it? Verse 29, Jesus says, let me teach you. Oh, well, now we've come to the root of the problem, haven't we? When it gets right down to it, I mean, we've got a couple issues here. Number one, we're not very teachable. We can act like we are. I mean, we can, you know, we can look, especially on a Sunday, like we're very teachable. We're very teachable people. But the truth is, no, we'd really like, I mean, you know, if I can pray and God can confirm what I'm asking for and just confirm what I'm saying, that's good. But I mean, you know, if he wants to do any work, well... <laughs> And that's why Jesus says, hey, here's the problem. Here's why you keep those layers of weariness. I got to teach you. I got to teach you that I'm the only one who can remove those layers. But are we teachable? Will we really believe him? We believe. We believe what he says. But do we believe it enough to put a priority on connecting with church at least once a week? We believe what he says, but if he's truly God, do we believe him enough 
to let him speak to us through his word every day? We believe, but do we believe enough to make sure that every day we are talking with him? We believe. But as we talked about last week, do we believe enough to trust in the principles that he has given to us even when it comes to giving? Because Jesus said where your heart is, I'm going to find your treasure. And where your treasure is, I'm going to find your heart. You see, God cannot help but be God. We talked about that last week. And that's such awesome news, but the problem is what happens? We've got to take that first step of faith. And then when we step out and do what he's asked us to do, he cannot help but respond. Why? Because he's God. There are promises for us. But so often we want God to move on our behalf without making the move that he asks us to make. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future is what it says in Jeremiah. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. For the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It's what Paul shared with Timothy in 2 Timothy. Let me teach you, Jesus says. You got to take that step. And then when you do, God always takes more than one step towards us. We got to be careful and make sure that we're teachable. The second thing is, though, we got to make sure we're not feeding the wrong appetites. And oftentimes we feed, listen now, we feed the burden. We feed the drama. We're the ones that are putting the layers in. If I told you, if I told you I was having a hard time training for a half marathon, I'm smoking three packs a day and having a menu on my daily diet of McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I don't understand why it's so hard training for the half marathon. You would just kind of look at me Shake your head and walk away, right? Because it's like, okay, look, you can feed one appetite or you could feed the other. You're not going to be able to pull the two together, okay? If I'm going to train for a half marathon, which, by the way, I need to do, okay? I have figured out that when I do something like that, it kind of pushes me in a certain direction. Otherwise, I can lean in a totally different... Don't worry, I'm not smoking three packs a day. But I can lean in a totally different direction. Okay? If I'm feeding one appetite, the other one's going to be left without anything. What appetite are you feeding? Because if you are feeding your mind and if you are feeding your heart with those things that are going to continually keep you in a state of burden down, and going to keep you in the drama, and keep you in the middle. It's interesting. Uh, this is one of those areas where i got to be careful, because I'm trying to get you out of here on time. I do want to do that today. But I always wind up sharing something extra in the second service. So it's like you get a treat, okay? Look at it that way. Um, it's interesting, because I didn't mention this in the first service, but there are numerous times where Jesus is on the water with his disciples, 
And there are a couple times, of course, and most of the time, storms come up, right? One time he's sleeping, one time he's walking on the water. I mean, there's all kinds of these. It's not just a one-time thing. It happens a few times. And there is one instance in those happenings where as soon as Jesus got on the boat, bam, the boat reached the other side. It was instantaneous, okay? And you, you can read that story where they were in the middle of it, stormy, and he said, peace, and not only did the storm calm down, they were immediately at their destination. But that's only one occurrence. Every other time, you want to know what they had to do? They had to keep going, keep rowing, keep sailing. Even though everything calmed down, they still had to work to get to the other side. Oh, there's a message in there somewhere. Even though Jesus comes to whisper peace, there's still a bit of effort that we got to make in order to get to the other side. Does God every once in a while in his miraculous power just, boom, and you're there? Yep. Does he do that often? Nope. No. So we got to make sure that we are not feeding the appetite that keeps us over in this direction, but instead feed the appetite I, uh, how many of you have XM radio? Can I see your hands? Do you have XM or, or Sirius or anything like that? Okay. It's in your car, all right? So if you have a car, then I'm going to try this again. Two people raise their hand. Am, am I the only one that knows what Sirius radio is and XM? I am so far ahead of the day and age in which we live. How many of you know what XM radio is? Can I see your hand? Okay, thank you. My gosh. It's like, we're going to do jumping jacks next Sunday before we get into the message, all right? A little bit of, okay, well, that's true. Now, now, how many of you have XM or, okay, a few more of you. Thank you. Thanks for, and my mother finally participated. Anyways, <clears throat> they have this radio station that they bring on in the summer. It's called Yacht Rock Radio, okay? Now, the young people are going, oh, dear Lord. <clears throat> that is not the station I listen to. Yeah, I know, but I listen to it, okay? Because it's like, the songs from when I was growing up, from when I was in junior high and high school, the songs that I first started memorizing, you know, and, and it's called Yacht Rock Radio. And anyways, that's what they got. But they also play songs that I've never heard of and songs that are just stupid. So I decided to make up my own soundtrack. And in fact, that's what I called it. I put it on my Apple Plays. It's called Soundtrack. Now I just have to say, hey Siri, play Soundtrack. And bam! All of these songs can sail in, take me away to... Anyways, uh, it's just the perfect soundtrack for summer, okay? It's awesome, but it is the soundtrack that just kind of... I mean, you're kind of looking for windows down, sun shining, you know? You can ride with your, your arm out the window and just, you know, kind of cruising along here. And it's just a reminder of, listen, we need a soundtrack from God. We need a soundtrack that we play, whether it's the people in your life, whether it's what you are listening to, whether it's the music that you are a part of, that you enjoy. You need more worship than just a 10 or 15 minute experience. And trust me, in this day and age, we've got it all over. We've got so many choices. We need a soundtrack of our lives that will move us in the direction of the peace that Jesus offers that will move us in the direction of laying it at his feet and letting him worry about it. Psalm 23, we just mentioned a minute ago, at the end of that psalm, do you know how it ends? 
David says, surely goodness and mercy will, what's the next word? Follow. Isn't that something? If we follow the good shepherd, his goodness and mercy follow us. We've got him in front and his goodness and mercy behind. We can't lose. We can't lose if we are just listening for his voice when it says, come on, stick with me. Come follow me. Come if you're weary. Here's the last one. Come and see. Come and see. Jesus, in essence, invites us to do that. But here's the thing. He, he actually asks his followers to give out that invitation. John chapter 1 gives to us the story of a couple of Jesus' disciples. One of them was a guy by the name of Philip, and Philip was a disciple of John the Baptist. But he met Jesus, and that changed his life. And he comes and he looks for Nathaniel, his friend. And this is what he said, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now listen to what Nathan said, Nathaniel. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? You want to know how Philip responded? He argued with him about Nazareth. What do you mean, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth is a great town. There have been a lot of good things. No, he didn't. He didn't argue with him at all. He just said, come and see. Come and see. Come and see. And that's what Jesus invites us to do with those that we love. Philip had an experience with Jesus, and the first thing he does, he wants to go and find his friend and tell him about it. And his friend comes up with an argument, right? Nazareth. That no good lousy town. Nothing good comes out of there. Now, let's say we don't even argue. Let's just say, though, we're like, yeah, you're right. And we turn around and walk away. That's oftentimes the response of those that follow Jesus today, isn't it? Either to argue about Nazareth. Well, if I can't change your feelings about Nazareth, then don't even bother coming to my church. No, 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 no. He said, come and see. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. You know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's not all he's cracked up to be. Maybe there isn't anything good in Nazareth. I don't know. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. And when Jesus makes such a significant difference in somebody's life, they can't help but go tell someone Come and see. Come and see. Verse 47, as they approached, they decided to go. So as they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Isn't that kind of interesting? I don't know if he said that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but, I mean, you know, Jesus knew everything that had gone on, including the fact that Nathaniel had just dissed him and his whole family and heritage, right? You realize you just talked about, about you know, 
my earthly father and my whole family and Nazareth. And, you know, there's a lot of good things coming into Nazareth. We got a Chick-fil-A coming into Nazareth. So, no, no, he just, he just said, here is a man who's full of integrity. And Nathaniel says, how do you know about me? And Jesus says, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. What was he saying? Before Philip found you, I found you. Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus said, do you believe this just because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things. than What was he saying? You, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. And listen, listen, no matter how long you have known Jesus, no matter how long your relationship goes with him, if you will follow him, if you will listen to the still small voice that says, come on, stick with me, if you will go to him with your weariness, with the layers of your burden, and allow him to remove those one layer at a time, if you'll do that, he comes to us to say, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. The world can paint a bleak and a dark picture, but Jesus says, you ain't seen nothing yet. Come and see. Come and see. There was a woman at the well in John chapter 4. He relates that story just a couple chapters later. I don't need to tell you the story. You can read it if you need to, but it's an incredible story about a lady who had a lot going on in her life, and she didn't have a lot of friends. And while the rest of the town's ladies went out at the beginning of the day because it was cooler to get their water, she went out at the hottest part of the day because she knew no one else will be there. And I just want to go by myself. They don't like me. I don't like them. We don't get along. They know my past. They bring up stuff that's not even true. So she went out at noon. The thing is, Jesus was there. And she had an encounter with him. And not only was she able to get some water, truth is, she left her jug sitting on the well because he had given her life. He had given her life, soul-quenching water from a well that Jesus said will never run dry. At some point, he said, Jacob's well will run dry, but if, if, you'll, if you'll drink from the water that I offer you, your soul will never be thirsty again. He made such a radical difference in her life, she ran back to the town. The townspeople who she didn't like, who she didn't get along with. And you want to know what she did? In verse 29, she said, come and see. Come and see. A man who told me everything I've ever done, could he be the Messiah? And John records the fact that they came. They came in droves, in fact, so much so that Jesus pointed out to his disciples, here they come through the fields. They are white unto harvest, guys. And Jesus would wind up staying in Samaria for two or three days, and a little revival broke out. Why? Because Jesus had such an impact on one person that she went back to people who didn't even know her and couldn't even stand her and said, come and see. And they went. What a change. What a difference. Because she invited them to come and see. Will you do that this week? Is there one person that this week you would say, hey, come and see. Come and see.
just check it out this Easter. And, and maybe they'll tell you, well, you know, I'm still a little nervous about the virus and I don't think I want to. Okay, then go online. We've got cards on the little table as you leave. Plenty of them. And they are just a simple card with the church's website and an invitation to join us. Invite them to come with you next Sunday. If they're not going to be around or if they don't want to come, invite them to jump in. Just, what are you saying? Come and see. I'm not asking you to change their religion or change their politics or change what they think or change what they believe. Some of them might even say to you, oh, churches, I've been to those. Yeah, that's what Nathaniel said about Nazareth. And your tendency will be to say, yeah, you're probably right. (laughs) No, no, no. Come and see. Come and see. There was a guy walking through the desert. He got lost. He didn't have his GPS. He wasn't following anybody. And it had been a long time. And it was getting hotter by the minute. And he was growing thirstier by the moment. And he knew that if he didn't get water soon, he was going to be in trouble. He looked up ahead, and in the distance, he could see a little shack. Of course, at first, he was like, this is a mirage. But the closer he got, everything remained the same. And in fact, it became more distinct. And as he got closer and closer, he realized it was true. And then he noticed there was a pump. And by the pump, there was a jug of water. He didn't care how warm it was. All that water was going to be so good. He needed that water so desperately. But when he got to the shack and he saw the jug of water, he noticed there was a note. And the note said, pour the jug into the pump. It'll prime the pump and you'll have all the water you need. For a moment, he didn't know what to do because he knew that he desperately needed this water. And if that pump didn't work, He was in trouble, and in fact, he might even die. But finally, after a few moments, he decided to take the note up for what it said, and he poured that whole jug of water into the pump, and he began to pump, 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 and at first, nothing, and he got a little nervous. But then pretty soon, he heard the gurgle of water coming through that pipe and all of a sudden it came out refreshing and cold and it just kept coming out and he poured it into that jug and he drank it and he poured another one and he drank it and then he grabbed that jug and he took it and he poured it over a bucket that was outside and he kind of took himself a, a shower and cleaned off the dirt and the layers of sand and sweat that had been piled up on him and then he found every container that he could and he filled every one of them because he knew he'd need it to finish his journey. Next to that little piece of paper which somebody had run it, wrote that note was just the nub of a pencil. And he grabbed it and he added to the note, you gotta try it. It really works. You gotta try it. It really works. Can I ask you a question? Have you been with Jesus long enough to know that it works? 
When's the last time you invited somebody? Come and see. Come and see. I haven't been lately, of course, the news junkie that I sometimes can be when something like an election or something like that's going on, but I've caught enough of the news to know this. A lot of people need hope. A lot of people need something that no matter what it is in this world, even a vaccine won't cure all the problems that they bring to the table. And Jesus invites us to just simply say to him, come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Will you do that this week? Bow your heads together with me in prayer. Father, this is an awesome week that followers of Jesus have in front of them as we celebrate, beginning today, every movement that you made, every time that you spent with your disciples. We know, Lord, in just a few days as we've celebrated communion, that first last supper occurred in that upper room with you and those closest to you. But before that evening was over, Lord, you would be betrayed. You would be taken to a mock court where you would be tried. And eventually you would be crucified. But Lord, you gave your life willingly so that we could know the forgiveness of sin so that we could know your grace and your mercy, so that we could be connected once again in relationship with God. It's as if on that cross you reached down and grabbed our hand, reached up and grabbed a heavenly Father's hand and brought the two together. And Lord, three days later, you rose from the dead triumphant over the grave, over death, over hell, over sin. And we rejoice in that this Sunday. But Lord, we are so mindful of a world, our world, the people in our sphere of influence, so many of whom have no hope. Lord, may we invite them at some point this week, may we invite them to come and see. And then, Lord, may you do in their lives what we can't. May you help them to put their faith and trust in you as Lord and Savior. And before I close this prayer, whether you're here with us on our campus or watching with us online, maybe there's never been that moment when you have said yes to Christ. There's never been that moment when you have invited him to come into your heart to forgive your sin, to save you. He can do that right now. Even in these moments as we close, he'll come in, forgive your sin, give you a brand new life with him. If you want that today, if you want to know for sure that he lives in you, you want to know for sure that your past is forgiven, you want to know for sure that you're 
eternal destiny is secure in heaven. I want you to simply pray this prayer in your heart after me. You don't need to say it out loud. He'll hear you. But just simply say, Lord Jesus, I do believe you love me today. That you came and died and rose again for me. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin and save me. I make you the Lord of my life. If you prayed that prayer and you're here with us on our campus with our heads still bowed, would you just quietly, quickly, just slip up your hand and put it down. Say, yeah, that's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer. Yeah, God bless you. Just slip it up and put it down. That's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer and I invited Christ to come into my life. What about you? I'm not gonna have you stand or come forward or anything like that, but I do wanna remember you in my prayers. If you prayed that prayer, just slip up your hand. Say, yeah, that's me. God bless you. Yeah, thank you. If you're online with us, there's a little tab that came up on your screen that says, today I accepted Christ as my Savior. Just hit that button. I may not know your name today, but God does. And you can rest assured that before an hour has passed, I will be praying for you. Father, for these, whether here or online, who have responded to your invitation, Lord, I pray that you do something within them to help them realize the newness of life that they have just accepted. Help them to know, Lord, that their past is forgiven, that their future is secure. Lord, I pray you do something tangible in their lives in the next few days to help them realize the significance of the decision that in these past couple of minutes they have made. And we thank you for that today. And we thank you for your love. And thank you for your invitation to follow you. May we do it, no matter how long we've known you, is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Amen.